Film and Whiskey Nation, do you ever think about awards? Of course you do. You drink whiskey and watch movies, which means that you know that nothing is validated until a group of random people say, hey, we love what you're doing. The awesome thing about Doc Swinson's whiskey is that it isn't just some group of schlubs that are giving them awards. They have been winning attention from some of the most important whiskey experts that you can imagine. They've been voted best distillery in Washington state by the New York International Spirits Competition. They've been voted the best independent bottler by the Ascot Awards, as well as the best finished bourbon from the Ascot Awards for their La Menta Exploratory Cask. Their Exploratory Cask series is where they release some of the most fascinating and adventurous experiments. If you're ever checking out Doc's lineup and see a white label, there's a really good chance that that's the only time you'll see that bottle, so make sure you snatch it up. Doc Swinson's has been offering just phenomenal finished and blended whiskeys for quite some time now. You can find them online at docswhiskey.com. That's D-O-C-S whiskey.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the Film and Whiskey Podcast. I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. Brad, we are coming at you with another special bonus episode. Bonus episode. (laughs) Man, I have been super excited for today's bonus episode, Brad, because a couple weeks ago, I took a trip up to lovely Cleveland, Ohio and Playhouse Square, the second largest performing arts district in the country behind good old Broadway. And I saw a show called Hamilton. I've never heard of it, Bob. Right, I know. It's, uh, it's a little little off-Broadway productions making the rounds right now. <laughs> nice. So a couple of years ago, when Disney Plus released their filmed version of Hamilton, we did an episode about Hamilton. And starting then, I have become obsessed with this show, Brad. Like, I don't usually get into uh, fanboy territory. I don't usually go down the rabbit hole with the things that we watch on this show. But Hamilton is one of those things that Every decade or so, there is a piece of art that comes out and it's in different mediums. It could be a movie. It could be an album. And it is so dense and there is so much to unpack and there are so many references that you just can't help but almost get obsessed with it. And with Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton, I think that's kind of the defining piece of art that came out of the 2010s. Yeah, it seems like it just captured a cultural moment of America exploring its history and asking questions about where we've come from and what that says about where we're going. And on top of, you know, all of those deep, important questions it's asking, it's just really, really incredibly well written. (laughs) Like, it might be one of the sharpest musicals that anyone has ever put pen to paper for. I was going to say, yeah, we can talk all day about, like, doing criticism on the text and everything. But at the end of the day, it's like... 50 bangers all strung together for (laughs) three hours. It's just incredible piece of entertainment. And today we are joined by performer Jared Dixon, who is currently on tour with Hamilton in the Philip cast performing as Aaron Burr. Jared, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
Now, Jared, I will just start off by saying uh, I have, you know, Bob went and saw you a few weeks ago. I have some, some of my best friends in the world that saw you literally a few nights ago. And the reviews are in. You are a killer, Aaron Burr. <laughs> uh, pun intended, right? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. There it is. There it is. <laughs> You know, let's just start there. Let's talk about the role of Aaron Burr a little bit. I mean, you're you're coming in in a performance in a role that, you know, Leslie Odom originated and has become, I don't know, probably the most sought after role on Broadway right now. Like it is he wins a Tony for the thing. Like it's an incredible role. It is so nuanced and so layered. And I feel like the more you watch Leslie Odom in that performance, especially now that we have like the movie version to watch, it's it's got to be so hard to pull off that character because there's so much more going on internally with Burr than there is with somebody like Hamilton, who's just expressing himself out loud all the time. (laughs) Yeah. What's it like to try to dig into this role that, you know, you have to express so much internal to someone that's sitting in the back row of the theater. Um, One of my favorite uh, quotes about the difference between theater acting and like TV acting is from Denzel. And um, he basically said that there's no difference. You either tell the truth or you don't. Hmm. And it's funny, like, well, you know, we'll, we'll, I, I've seen like reviews or and stuff like that. I don't um, I try not to bother too much with with critics opinions and stuff like that. But I'll see reviews sometimes that'll say like, you know, the, you know, like level of expression wasn't big enough or. You know, it didn't it didn't feel like the energy was as big as it should be. And I don't think, you know, not not to criticize critics or anything like that. But if you watch the whole show and you got through a room room where it happens and wait for it and satisfied and all of the bangers and you think that the show is not big enough, you just weren't dialed in, (laughs) (laughs) you know. Um, So, it you know, it it, it feeds the actor so much, you, you know, not not that I try to rely on the text or anything like that but it there's so much meat on the bone and um it's one of those it's like a, a a runaway train if you if you blink you you've missed you know a huge chunk sometimes and i just try to do my best to uh to stay on my toes and be as present as possible with my castmates and um bring real like joy and uh love to the stage you know, because people only like to watch people who are enjoying themselves do anything. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I wonder, though, like I'm thinking about what you said about how if you blink in the middle of Hamilton, if you yawn for like three or four seconds, right. you've missed like at least 800 words worth of content. <laughs> right? right. And so like what you know, you've been performing this for a little while now. What mm-hmm. still surprises you in the text itself? At, like as you work through the material night after night, is there anything that that like recently has hit you where you're like, man, th- this line is just hitting me in a different way than it had, you know, the the past few months of performing it? Um, it you know, there's so many ways that Hamilton can change. It is so adaptable to the times. Um, any one thing happens happens in our political space and the show takes on a new color. Mm. Something happens in our personal lives and the show takes on a new color. I don't know, like a whole pandemic happens and the show, <laughs> you know, changes. And um, it, it's uh, it's really easy to just keep your ears and your eyes and your heart open to the, t- the to the show. So, uh, you know, I'll I'll find 
new things to kind of point at as a as um the narrator and new things to to emphasize in my text and stuff like that. one one thing that I've found really interesting is I'm probably like somewhere around 400 performances or three, 300 and change or something like that. And the, the line is, and no, you don't. Yes, I do. Now be sensible. From what I hear, you made yourself indispensable. And then two nights ago, I just leaned into the pen in indispensable, hmm. as in you've been using your pen. Yeah. And that's like, you know, like a little witty thing. I don't know if anybody caught it, but I just like, you know, one of those, I guess like kind of dad joke. Yeah. It was good for me. I hope somebody else got it. Yeah, that's incredible, man. I can't imagine, you know, but you do it so often that you probably have to have something on stage to keep yourself from just getting rote with it. But finding something like that where you're just, you know, I'm going to put emphasis on this word a little bit different. It, it You have to find something to spice it up a little bit. But I imagine it has to be a huge challenge with something like Hamilton where Everything depends on the meter. Everything depends on the rhythm and hitting certain beats the, the exact same way every time, because otherwise the songs don't work. Like it's there's right. so much intricacy to how these songs are are fit together that I mean, it, it's got to be as much a verbal and mental workout as it is a physical one on stage. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, the only there's only a few composers who write this really in this really dense way. You got like Sondheim, Raw Dahl, Lemonwell. Um, JRB gets into the pattern stuff sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and but in this show, it, it it really is all of the devices of theater and and live performance uh kind of coming together. And and each moment is like like rich layered cake. If you bite off too much, you know, you're not really enjoying it. So I I think like when I'm in the show, it's more about just, like I said, keeping my eyes and heart open, um, being open to the moment. I don't really have any grand like design that I'm trying to affect in every show that Mm -hmm. I, you know, that I go on for. I'm really just trying to stay as present as possible to allow the show to do what it wants to do that night and, and, and really be, you know, uh, be a vessel in a sense. And Jared, I, I'm like fascinated at this idea of like three, four, five hundred performances, you know, with the same cast and crew for the most part. You know, people kind of come and go. But like I, I think about the fact that you played Simba on The Lion King in the past and your your co-star here, Taria Campbell, mm-hmm. uh, she played Nala in Lion King. Right. I, I don't I don't <laughs> believe it was at the same time, but yeah. like how how tight knit is the the Broadway community? You know that you guys all work around these same musicals, and, and you you are with each other for you know month after month, and sometimes year after year. Like how how special is it to be able to perform in these arts with these people who you're around all the time? I mean, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the most recent experience that I've had that's mind boggling. Um, three of my castmates. I knew since they were like 16 hmm. oh my and gosh. I was, uh, you know, a little, I was a little bit older. <laughs> um, and uh, one of them who just debuted last week, I've known since he was nine. Wow. Um, so uh, the, the, not the guy who I knew, I knew since he was nine, um, I was his day camp, day camp counselor. And the <laughs> other two went, uh, one went to my high school 
And then the other one uh, I performed with when he was 16 and I was 25. And so for us all to be on stage at the same time, it really is just is a testament to, you know, how small the, the community is, but also how tight knit it, it is. We're able to see excellence in other people and um, continue to like encourage and feed people. And um, that was probably like the biggest, the, the best gift that I could have received this year was to be able to see um, some of the younger guys who came up behind or coming up behind me just we're in the same generation, but they're a few years behind me um, for them to uh, have the level of, of success that they've had. Yeah. And then we have like uh, my castmate, Nikisha Williams, who I did Color Purple with. And a couple of my, you know, Taria did Lion King. And I have so many connections with different castmates and cast members across the Hamilverse and across the theater, <laughs> you know, the theater world. Uh, you know, you're never quite alone in the theater world. Yeah, honestly, the the way you're talking about seeing these guys come up that you've known since they were, you know, nine, 16, it, it kind of made me think about how, like, in the NBA, there's so many young guns who are, like, young stars who are mm-hmm. like, yeah, I remember when LeBron, like, came to our <laughs> AAU games and, like, he was the greatest player in the universe and now I'm playing against him. Right. And I guess I just bring that up to say you like must be the LeBron James of the musical universe. <laughs> I mean, I'm not quite 40 yet, but um, <laughs> your, your hairline's to... not receding like his. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, being compared to um, Goat 1A, I right. call him. Um, yeah, I'm a Michael Jordan fan, but um, being compared to him, I- I'll take it. <laughs> well, you're talking to two Cleveland boys. Well, actually, I'm the Cleveland boy. Bob is an Akron guy, so. You, oh, yeah, you, you might get we might get house. into it. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I I could practically see LeBron's house from here. I'm like, I, you know, you you got to come like walk on eggshells a little bit when you're talking about who's the goat around us. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm I'm accepting of all 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 viable goat conversations. There you go. As listen, as long as you can make a case, I'll right, I'll entertain right. it. Right. <laughs> All right, let's talk a little bit about your history, Jared, because, you you know, you're, you're acting like you're the elder statesman here, but you're you're still a young buck. Like you just I mean, I, I've seen you talk about the role of Simba in Lion King as quite possibly the most prominent and most challenging role that a young person can play. How did you get here? You came from Queens. You've <laughs> like you uh, you're, you're the son of Broadway royalty in a number of ways. Like mm-hmm. it's an incredible journey. And I just I want our audience to be able to hear a little bit about it. Yeah. I mean, the long story short is um, I grew up being near the theater because my dad was um, a performer as well. And um, he's a classical, a classical singer and also made his Broadway debut in Ragtime, the musical mm-hmm. um, in the 90s. And I grew up knowing that uh, knowing that I wanted to do something different, but not knowing exactly what it was. And I found performance uh, later in my uh, young adult years. Um, After I graduated college, I started uh, auditioning. I got my first job in Boston as well uh, at Fiddlehead Theater. I did uh, Ragtime, a completely full circle moment. And I played the role of Booker T. Washington, which my dad understudied on Broadway as well. And um, I've really just dedicated the past 10 years of my life uh, since I, you know, started performing professionally to getting better at every turn and making sure that every opportunity I take is a step up, not just in um, in profile, but just in, in internal uh, fulfillment mm-hmm. and personal fulfillment. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that's that's guided me really well. And um, I, I really only care about being one of the best to ever do it. Or, you know, I'm, I'm that's up to other people to decide. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to attempt and and try my best and, and give um, all that I got to be as good as I possibly can at this thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that's a great point because there's a lot of people out there that that have the ambition to play a role like Burr or a role like Simba and probably have the energy and and maybe have the stamina. But mm-hmm. there's so much that goes into, I don't know, like having the experience, the life experience and also honing your craft. Like, I can't imagine that, you know, if this musical had existed 10 years ago and you look at where you were 10 years ago, that you would think that you'd be as effective as Aaron Burr as you are today. And right. I think, you know, I guess my question then is like, how do you see yourself growing as an actor and how do you see your life experiences in like, are those two things intertwined? Does your ability to convey these deeper emotions come from just the fact that you've seen more of the world since then? You know what I mean? Right. It's a part of a, a necessary self-awareness that I think I've always had. Um, I've always had the ability to look around and be honest with myself, um, not for the sake of comparison to other people, but just to say, when I see somebody do something that's incredible, I'll look within myself and say, oh, I can't do that, but mm. I'm, I'm, I can get there. Mm-hmm. I, I'll look and say, I don't have that, whatever they just did, right? Like, you know, I remember the first time I saw um, Joshua Henry on Broadway mm. in uh, Porgy and Bess. Mm-hmm. He was the person who I looked at and said, that is what I want to do. I'm not quite there yet, but I need to figure out how to do that. And I, you know, now I'm at the point where I am doing it in my own, in my own way and figuring things out for myself. But like I said, it's just a necessary self-awareness that I think I picked up uh, doing other things, playing basketball, running track. You know, I'm naturally competitive by nature. Um, I really just want to be the best. And I'm, 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 uh, I wouldn't say I'm like Kobe Bryant obsessive with. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. <laughs> I was like, not not many people are the mom. Right, right. I'm, I'm not like you know three, four in the morning every day obsessive, but I can be when necessary. When I when I find something like when I find the need to go that far to do things, that's where I go. Yeah. And um, and I take that approach with everything in my life, even uh, about being a husband and about being a future dad and. Um, being a dog owner. Yeah. So it's, you know, how you do anything is kind of how you do everything with me. And um, I've always just been about following my passion and, and making sure that I express my passion through, you know, through my work. And I think it showed, you know, it's, it started to show better on stage um, with experience, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm more, I trust myself more than I ever had. Jared, that might be the best quote to come out of our podcast. How you do anything <laughs> is how you do everything. Take, yeah. take that home, Film and Whiskey Nation. That's that's <laughs> that's a good one to think on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Jared, I don't mean to make you, you know, uh, speak it into existence here or name it and claim it or anything, but, you know, everyone has like a bucket list of, man, I'd really like to get on stage and sing that song someday, or I'd really like yeah. to be in that show someday. And I, I imagine that some of them you're keeping, you know, locked up and, and you're not going to speak it out loud. But like, what what are some of the oh, ones no, I'll, on I'll your on your bucket stop. list? Yeah. 
Yeah, I'll say it in case some producer somewhere is like listening to this or getting some ideas. Um, so number one was Burr. Mm. Um, Let's go. That's off the list. Uh, Bobby and Company. Nice. I was just um, going to say, so everyone's got to sing Being Alive at some point, right? At some point. Yeah, yeah. It's like, um, you know, like a theater party trick for if you're um, Barry Tenor. I was going to say, like, if uh, Adam Driver can do it in, in Marriage Story, like, you can do it. Come on. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I'll say Bobby and Company is uh, probably up there. I really identified with that show. I, it's weird to, you know, to say I identified with that show at, like, 2019, but I really did. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, at some point, I'll, I'll get that, the opportunity for that. I would also say... Above that would be a role to originate something. Hmm. Um, I want to originate something that's just as deep and nuanced as Burr, whether it be a villain or a, you know, a, a tragic hero or something like that. Mm-hmm. Trying to think of other theater canon things that I would love to touch. I, I like I like Hermes in Hades Town. I'd oh, like nice. to yeah. touch that as well. Um, I know they kind of they cast older um, actors in that role, but I think it'd be fun to do. Yeah, there's there's not many that I'm I'm really like I don't know. Burr, Burr really was like kind of Burr was it. Yeah. Um, for me, and, and so I have to once I'm done putting on the the tales, I'll have to reevaluate and see what's next. I what, mean, Bobby's still up there, of course. What's the song with Burr that made you want to chase it like this? Wait for it. Easily, yeah. Wait for it is maybe the most slept on song in the whole show. Like, it. I know. <laughs> in any other show, we'd say that is the showstopper. But because this uh-huh. show has room where it happens and one last time and satisfied, every, like I feel like wait for it gets buried in people's minds sometimes. And it is, you know, we talk all the time, Brad, when we talk about movie musicals and the way that shows are structured about a character having a song that's called like their "I Want" song. Mm-hmm. And that's Burr's mm-hmm. I want song, but it's it's so much deeper than just an I want because he expresses that kind of thing later on in Room Where It Happens, too. But mm-hmm. it's his whole motivation. It's I'm doing everything methodically because everything around me falls apart and I want to be able to control my destiny. And it I, I feel like it makes Burr even more of a tragic figure. Like there's just there's so much in that song, aside yeah. from just the vocals that that really drive that character forward. Yeah, I, I had a friend who um, we had a, a debate about whether that is an I want song or not. Um, and I did believe that. But then I came to the realization performing it that it's an it's more of an identity song. Hmm. Um, everyone else in the show gets introduced. Burr introduces himself. Yeah. And the first thing he says is I'm the damn fool that shot him. But we don't get to really know who he is as a as a soul as a, a human being with a soul um, until wait for it. And I think the things that he's saying about himself uh, in that song are things that we all question are why, why do I do anything out here? Like, why do I go to this job? Why, do, why am I in love with this person? Mm-hmm. Why did I get this dog? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and what he's really questioning is the very nature and fabric of what he's been taught and where he's come from and whether that's enough to sustain him. And at that point in his life, 
he decides that it is that it's enough. The way that he's doing things is enough. But you just see the chink in the armor because it's through the lens of comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what makes it so tragic because he says all these beautiful things about this legacy that he's he's come from. Um, the, the second verse, my grandfather was a fire and brimstone preacher. My mother was a genius. My father commanded respect. But he's talking about the legacy that he comes from and this deep love that he has for Theodosia. And it seems so beautiful to the audience. It's like the color yellow in Van Gogh. You know, if you watch, if you read, if you, if you see any Van Gogh painting, you say, oh, that's a beautiful yellow flower. And then you find out that uh, yellow is the color that he used to signify the darkness in his soul. Wow. And the, and the depth mm. of his pain. Mm. And it changes the way you see anything. And so that's kind of what Wait For It is. It's that beautiful painting, but that you find out the secret meaning behind it at the end. And you realize this guy has got some things to work on, yeah. you know, <laughs> as we yeah. all do. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And I, I think that's what I love most about Hamilton is that it, it takes these characters from history that if we're being really honest, I would guess without the musical Hamilton, 70 to 80 percent of Americans wouldn't even know who these right. people were beyond the fact that they were American history right. figures. <laughs> right. And yet it takes them and it reminds us that you know we get so caught up in our own lives and our own day-to-day things and assuming that all you know politicians have are evil or they're perfectly good or you know we we do all this and yet something like hamilton takes all of that and says hey all throughout history people are just mm-hmm. people they they want to be known and loved and understood and safe and, and they want to be able to provide those things for the people that right. they love and whether you're a politician in the you know 17 1800s or you're just an average citizen trying to live through a pandemic like those are things that we can all relate to and i, I think that's what hamilton does so Absolutely. well it's a it's a cautionary tale it's an ode to the beautiful flaw the beautifully flawed experiment that is america mm-hmm. and it's kind of a testament to humanity it's a it's a plea for humanity in some ways, because the truth is, at the end of the show, you know, Burr is able to say, if I had just waited, hmm. if I had listened to myself, if I, if I had trusted myself enough, I might have seen that there was space enough for both of us. Yeah. And that is that's the most beautiful walk off home run, you know, <laughs> that I don't think I've ever seen in the music yeah. was for him to to drop his ego at the end right. and just say, you know, yeah, I'm trash and we all are. Well, I think that's, <laughs> that's like the most beautiful thing for me about the way that show ends is you finally understand the link between Burr and Hamilton is that in their own ways, they both tried to be the masters of their fate. They both tried to write their own legend. And I don't think either of them realized until it was too late. And that's when, you know, Washington comes back on at the end and starts uh, starts. Uh, you, you have no control who lives, who dies, who tells your story. Like the final reminder of this musical is like you can try as much as you want to be the master of your fate. But the way your right. story gets told is not up to you. And right. it shifts in those final moments to talking about Eliza, this person who 
we don't know anything about really and who mm-hmm. had no chance to tell her own story. And like, right. that's what Lynn's doing at the end of the story is he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to tell the legend of this person now. And I think it says a lot about like, like what you guys are saying. It's really instructive yeah. to how much are you going to waste your energy trying to construct your own legend and narrative? And how much are you going to accept the fact that like, you have no control over that at all? Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're, um, I'm reading a lot of Eckhart Tolle right now. Mm. And uh, Burr's, I think he would categorize Burr as uh, someone who's egotistically steeped in his um, past and future. Hmm. He's never quite in the present because he's always waiting. Hamilton's never quite in the present because he's always planning, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that ends up being the foil of both of them. Burr, in the, in the story, at least, uh, you know, I can't. I've read enough, but I, I, I've read enough to know that I know nothing about Burr, you know, about anyone. And I, I accept that like, right. you know, revisionist history is a thing. And, you know, I wasn't there, so I'll never know the truth. Right. But I, I know that in the story, he's so um, seemingly concerned with upholding this legacy and being right and being a part of the thing that Mm -hmm. he doesn't necessarily, you know, the most beautiful parts of his show are nonstop to me when he's, you know, he's at home and Hamilton's like, Hey, come kick up dirt with me. And he's like, no, I think I'm good. I think that's a good, if the show ends there, Burr probably goes off and lives a great, happy life somewhere. Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, by the end of the song, he's like questioning again for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, so it, it's uh, like I like we said, so much meat on the bone. Yeah. Well, and and we could honestly go on talking about it for another three hours. Yeah. <laughs> but I think what we need to do now is Bob and I are going to go. We're going to review the Beverly High Rye Whiskey. And then we're going to come back and talk with Jared about our top five movie musicals. So get ready for that whiskey review. And then we'll be back with our top five movie musicals. All right. So today we are checking out the Beverly High Rye American Whiskey. Brad, this is called an American whiskey, not just a rye, because it's not technically a bourbon. It's not technically a rye. It is a blend of straight rye and straight bourbon. So, you know, it probably works out that there is still more corn in the overall mash bill here than there is anything else, but it can't be called mm-hmm. a bourbon legally because it's blended. So, you know what? It's I'm just, okay with it. It's an, it's a melting pot, Bob. Just like America. That's right. <laughs> yeah, man, this one is coming out of Cedar Ridge Winery and Distillery in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Fun fact, where my family is from. Yeah, 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 man. We've had a couple of their products on the show before. I love Cedar Ridge, so I'm very excited about it. Yeah, this is a a blend of whiskeys that come from Cedar Ridge and from Indiana. So if you can guess where the whiskey in Indiana is coming from, you'd probably be right. I'm (laughs) super excited about this, man. I've seen this bottle all over Instagram. It is a very picturesque bottle. Like, it's Mm -hmm. a really nice one to have on your bar really draws attention to itself. I'm hoping that the whiskey inside the bottle is every bit as good as the packaging on the outside. Brad, you actually did a little bit more research on this than I have. So why don't you walk us through uh, what you've found out about this whiskey? 
Yeah, so this uh, this whiskey is coming in at 96 proof, and they have already won a few medals, Bob. They've won a gold medal at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition, as well as the New York World Spirits Competition. So uh, the Beverly knows how to blend some whiskey. Coast to coast awards for the Beverly. <laughs> That's right. All right, let's jump in, man. What are you picking up on the nose here? Oh, man. You know what I just realized? Mm. It reminds me a little bit of the Outland scotch that you got mm. us a while back. Really? It literally just hit me. I, I Like, I've already taken my notes. But yeah, it has like this this sweet cherry licorice nose that's mixed with like a cream of wheat, some caramel, some black pepper. It's a really, really nice nose, Bob. Yeah, I think pepper is a, a really great note to bring out on this one. It does smell like a bourbon. It smells like a high rye bourbon, which I expected when it's called the Beverly High Rye. So there's a lot of that rye spice on the front. There's a lot of that pepperiness. I get a little bit of like a Coca-Cola kind of effervescence on this one. I like it a lot. Uh, not super complex on the nose, but it tells me that it's going to be sweet, but with a little bit of a kick from that pepperiness. Uh, when I get into the taste here, Brad, I'm a little bit surprised that it's not quite as sweet on the palate as I was expecting it to be. And it almost has a little maltiness to it. And I don't, I don't mm -hmm. know if there's any malt in any of the mash bills that they're blending here. But when you said it reminded you of a scotch, that's where my mind went, is that on yep. the palate, it's a little maltier than it is sweet. Yeah, it, it definitely came across as creamy for me. There is still some of that cherry lingering from the nose. Then it got kind of minty at the back end. And I thought it was a really, really nice palate. Mm -hmm. And when you get into the finish here, it gets into a really beautiful toasted oak. Uh, there's some marshmallow flavor going on. And for me, it almost left a little bit of like an Angostura bitters flavor uh, that almost got sour. Like my first sip, it almost got sour at the back end. But the more I sat with it and drank it, the more it, it kind of evened out into just that that Angostura feel. There's quite a bit of smokiness on this. And I wouldn't call it like peat, but it reminds me of non-peated scotches and how they still have that kind of like a wisp of campfire smoke about them. This has that. It's like minty and smoky at the same time. Mm -hmm. It definitely turns a little bitter, not sour, but a little bit on the more bitter end of things on the finish. I liked your note of Angostura bitters. For me, it doesn't quite have that level of complexity to it, but everything seems to be consistent. Like that black peppery and rye note that I got on the nose really did a good job of preparing me for where this was going to go, because otherwise I would have thought that this was going to be way sweeter than it is on the palate. Yeah, Bob, this, I mean, the balance, I think that this is like above average complexity that mm -hmm. has really nice flavors throughout. I This is a really good whiskey, man. All right, let's talk a little bit about the price point on this, because you told me that you're seeing it retailing for about, what, $59? Uh, yeah, 60 bucks. All right, so... Again, I don't want to call it a, a craft whiskey, but it is coming from a smaller craft distiller, at least some of what they're sourcing is in Cedar Ridge. And I like Cedar Ridge's stuff. They're putting it in a really nice bottle. The packaging is like stellar. Uh, you know, just for, for $60, man, it's like I would probably recommend some other whiskeys that I like better than this. But I also want to say that I don't think this is overpriced. 
Like, I, I think it's a it's a fair value for what you're getting. Could it be a little bit cheaper and get a little bit of a higher score on my my metric? Definitely. But I, as, I also don't think that this is like astronomically overpriced. No, I, th- I think if I was giving it a value score, I'd probably give it like a seven. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it should be, man, if this was like $42, I think it'd be like a nine out of 10 value. Yeah. But then you're if asking it, them to, to cut yeah, their price. Point. No, a hundred percent. So I, I think maybe 50 to $55 might be a better price point, mm-hmm. but you know, 60 bucks, it's fine. If I was scoring this out of 50, you know, including the value score, I think I'd probably sit at like a 38 out of 50, like a really nice experience that I would probably recommend buying a bottle. Yeah, honestly, just know what you're getting into. Yeah, the packaging on this definitely takes it up a notch for me. And usually we're not swayed by packaging, but when I'm on the fence about whether or not to recommend the whiskey itself... If you can have something that's going to be a conversation piece and going to be eye catching and it's only going to cost you a couple more dollars, I'm all in on that. And they clearly put thought and effort into the packaging here. It's a custom made bottle. The label's really beautiful. I love the color scheme on it. So, like, absolutely. I'm going to go ahead and give this one a, a stamp of approval, Brad. I don't know about you. Yeah, 100%. If you find some Beverly High Rye out there in the wild, I would snag it immediately. All right, man, let's get back into talking with Jared Dixon from Hamilton. What do you say? Let's get to it. All right, so that was the Beverly High Rye American Whiskey. We want to say thank you again for this bottle. We are getting back into our conversation with Jared Dixon, who's currently on tour with Hamilton as Aaron Burr. And we're talking about our top five movie musicals. Now, Brad, Mm -hmm. I don't know how you made your list up, but uh, I tried to stick with mine to like Broadway to movie adaptations because there's so many musicals we could just do, yeah. you know, like Singing in the Rain existed as a movie musical well before it was ever a show on Broadway. So right. like for the most part, I did sneak one in here that's just a movie, but I tried to go the Broadway route. I don't know, guys. Um, did you have trouble picking just five or is it like a pretty clear cut list for you? I mean, I don't even know if Jared would be able to pick five. No, yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't seem like a guy that's really steeped in the history of musicals at all. <laughs> no, Bob. Honestly, I am not like the biggest musical guy in the world as far as like history and knowing them all. But I have some that I've really enjoyed. Um, I think two of mine. Uh, actually, no. I'm I'm pretty sure that two of mine are Broadway, two movie, and three are not. Okay, so. Mine are all over the place. I got some Disney in there. There you go. <laughs> got some the- uh, Broadway to movie. And uh, I don't think I do. I have any movie to. Bro- I don't think I have any movie to Broadway in there. Yeah. See, I will say I I literally didn't even think about like the 90s Disney movies mm-hmm. as musicals. And yet, like Bob and I were talking and he mentioned those. And I was like, oh, I. I didn't even think of putting those in like Beauty and the Beast would be it it might make my top five because right. I, I just freaking love that movie. Right. We've had this conversation so many times, Brad, about like what makes a musical a musical. Is it? Yeah. Like, does the music have to be diegetic? Does a movie. What was the one that we watched? Uh, Walk the Line, you know, where they mm-hmm. stop the movie for three minutes so that Johnny Cash can sing a song. Like, <laughs> yep. Does that make it a musical just because there's a performance in it? You know, and so I think. 
yeah, the lines get blurred and it's up to interpretation, but that's what makes these top five lists so good. So I don't know, without further ado, let's just, we'll go one by one and we'll go from five to one. So uh, Brad and then Jared, what are your number five picks? Uh, My number five pick is my yearly Christmas tradition. I watch this and I watch It's a Wonderful Life. For sure. Like, you know, other movies come and go. Some years I watch Elf, the Santa Claus, but every single year I will watch It's a Wonderful Life and White Christmas. Mm. Mm. I I just absolutely love White Christmas. I love all the performances. I think it's it's got that like when you actually sit down and watch it, it's got so many weird just little scenes in the middle of it that only makes sense to people who lived in the 40s and 50s and I still don't understand and I just love that it it, it makes it feel nostalgic to me so I'm, I'm a big fan of White Christmas number five I'm gonna say Coco oh yes I knew Yo. I knew I liked this guy for a reason. <laughs> I was about to say Jared you just want a best friend for life in Bob <laughs> Coco goes so hard and no one gets it. Like Coco goes so hard. <laughs> it's I turn that movie on and like I'm entertained, I'm weeping. All of the emotional roller coaster that you could possibly have comes from Coco. Yeah. Like Jared, you thought you were gonna get to talk about Coco. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, 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 you're right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Jared, yeah, why why do you choose Coco? So I I, ha- I actually had this conversation with um uh a producer of Lion King. We were talking about the future of uh, Disney on Broadway. I was telling him, I was like, I don't even know if you guys know what devices really made Lion King the phenomenon that it is. I believe that all of the musicals that are attached to a culture that we know but don't have full access and understanding of are the ones that are fully ex- uh, are, that become the most popular. So, like Lion King is attached to Africa. Um, the Lion King, the musical, is attached uh, deep uh, in a deeper way to Africa, but the movie is attached to Africa and um, and the, you know, that culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what made it the Broadway success that it is. And Coco has that same element with yeah. it being uh, Mexican culture and um, all of the history around Dia de los Muertos and, um, you know, the food and the, the, the them being shoemakers and the mariachis and all, all that stuff. And then on top of that, it's just written, like it's written so, 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 so well. Yeah. The melodies are brilliant. I love how it like just how it ends when she the 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 uh motif remember me. It's like it's mo- the remember me singing the one line in remember me is like saying bing bong to anyone who's seen yep. inside out. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this guy gets so, it, Brad. Um, yeah, 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 he 100% gets it. Uh, we listened to a Disney piano playlist to put my daughter to bed. Mm-hmm. And Remember Me comes on right after, uh, oh, what's the song from Toy Story 2? Oh, the, Jess- the Sarah McLaughlin one? Yeah. Yes. It literally <laughs> is the Sarah McLaughlin song and then Remember Me. And I'm like trying to read a book to my child and like trying not to weep. <laughs> Well, I'll wreck the moment here because my number five is not something that makes me weep, at least. But, Brad, it's probably like one of the only Tim Burton movies that I've ever actually enjoyed. Like, he just doesn't do it for me as a director. But I love his adaptation of Sweeney Todd. 
Like, dude, oh, it yeah. is, it's really good. And that, I mean, again, like it's, a you know, <laughs> when you talk about Sondheim, like you could pick a number of different shows, but Sweeney Todd, like the, the, the show is amazing. And then the movie itself is also really, really good. And it's really rare to find movies that successfully, that succeed as movies in addition to just like, hey, here's a Broadway show. Like they did yeah. something unique with it. I thought it, it held up artistically. I really enjoyed Sweeney Todd. I will um I will actually agree. Um Sweeney Todd's definitely on my list. Oh, there you it's go. A little further up though. <laughs> All right, Brad, why don't you hit us with your number four? Yeah, my number four, uh, we're going back a little bit in time. I'm gonna put up my fair lady. Oh, nice. Oh, now, I will say this is one I have not watched in, a, in quite some time. I think the last time I watched it was probably high school. Mm -hmm. But I remember just being so drawn in by the chemistry between Audrey Hepburn and I can't think of the, the name of the main oh, the main male character. Rex Harrison. I mean, in, Rex in the movie, it's uh, Professor Higgins, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 Professor Higgins. But yeah, Rex Harrison and Audrey Hepburn are just incredible together in that movie. There yeah. was a there was a production that I want to say it was like Lincoln Square a couple of years ago. And yeah, recently. Yeah. The um the guy that sang on the street where you live, I wish I remembered his name. He was incredible. Like there's just so many great numbers in that show. You know what? Uh Jared, I'm gonna let you give your number four and I'm gonna Google real quick who it was that sang that okay. song. My uh, number four is very, very recent. I'm going to go with the, the new Matilda. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. It is astounding. Really? <laughs> yes. It is uh, one, one of the best things that I've seen. Um, I was going to say this year, but this is a, it's a short year. Um, it's one of the best <laughs> movie mu musicals I've seen um, in a while. I'll definitely say that. Wow, man. Yeah. Bob. Stumped by a guest. Yeah, this, <laughs> this is a rare occurrence, man. Yeah, I am Jared. I am so thankful that you have come on this show. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us just really quickly one sentence like, what made you love Matilda so much to put it in your top five? I mean, just the the way that the music flows with the with Raw Doll's story and the words. Um. It's really, really smart. It's it just, it's really dense and brilliant. Mm. And for, I mean, and those kids are just <laughs> giving every ounce of excellence that they can possibly muster in that thing. It also, it just, uh, it feels really good. And it's not like, um, it's not very, it's not very cookie cutter and kitschy. It, yeah. it, it allows itself to be as dark as I think Matilda should be. They they made a flip on the character and she's not so sweet and innocent with the the sneaky attitude. She's like, <laughs> she's a big shit talker. Like, <laughs> like big stepper. Like she's she's definitely um worth her weight in gold in that show in that show. So I really appreciate it. And maybe it's on my list right now because it's you know recency bias. Sure. But um sure. I, I really think it stands up against um any of the like kid musicals that are that are out there. I'd say so far we have two musicals f prominently featuring kids for you, Jared. Yeah, yeah. I think that has some, maybe that has something to do with the the fact that I got one coming on the way. You do. Congratulations, yeah, by the way, man. Congratulations, man. Thank you, thank you. All right, I'll go with my number four. Oh, I found the guy from My Fair Lady. His name's Jordan Donica. He uh, 
He oh, killed. George, he oh, that's, killed. Yeah. Killed this song. Like, look it oh, up later, you, man. Oh, the Broadway. Okay, I'm, yeah. I, I don't know why. Uh, he was. It was thinking a, of uh, another show. Okay. Jordan Dodd is, is one of my guys. Oh yeah. Well, tell him yeah, I yeah. said that he absolutely annihilated that song. Like it was. <laughs> it was incredible. <laughs> All right, my my number four. I'm gonna go with uh, a movie that really has fallen like by the wayside, but it's from a show that still performed a lot, and that is the the movie adaptation of Brigadoon. This is a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical. Wow. I don't know why Brigadoon has always had just a really special place in my heart. Like it is, it's cheesy as hell. <laughs> and I love it. Like, it's just, there's something about a musical that is completely earnest with its own cheesiness that mm-hmm. like it's endearing. And, and like with Gene Kelly in the movie and Leslie Caron and like, or not Leslie Caron, um, Sid Charisse in that movie directed by Vincent Minnelli. So it looks gorgeous. I love that movie. I love Gene Kelly, and I'm in love with those songs. So Brigadoon's number four. If I am correct, Brigadoon is a is a Scottish themed movie. Yes. And your name is Robert the Bruce Book. Is, <laughs> that's is that that's true, actually. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm just I don't know if I'm making a correlation <laughs> there's, here. There's something I'm just asking questions. Deep within my bones that resonates with that musical. <laughs> All right, Brad, let's go through these a little quicker here, man. We're we're dragging. We gotta get this guy to bed so he can perform tomorrow. Number three for you, Brad. Uh number three, I'm going more recent as well. I'm gonna go with La La Land. Oh, interesting. Okay. I just, I love the story that is told by it. I think that as a musical, it is not necessarily the greatest pure musical of all time, but I, I just love what what Chazelle did with the story, and I think that the cinematography of the film is beautiful. The way he uses lighting throughout is incredible. So I, I'm, I was just really a big fan of La La Land when it came out. All right. Jared, number three. I'm going to go with uh, Cinderella. Oh, nice. The Brandy version. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> you had to spe- you got to specify the brand with Whitney as the uh, the godmother, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um that that movie was just so um monumental in so many of my friends' lives. Um mm-hmm. it's kind of like uh to me it's the Magic Johnson of movie musicals. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. But you gotta give you gotta give credit where credit is due. It's the first, you know, it's one of the first. Um, I think it's the only time that I've ever seen a black and white mom and dad produce an Asian son. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Listen, hats off to that. Break breaking the laws of physics, and we love them for it. Like, uh, right. and again, that's a that's a Rodgers and Hammerstein adaptation. I actually, I did that show in high school, Brad, and like. It's the kind of show that if I can be frank, like it needed something to spice it up a little bit and mm-hmm. like make it fresh and adding those dynamics to it, bringing in Whitney as the fairy godmother. Like it, it's so, so good. I haven't seen that version of forever. I got to check that one out again. Yeah. All right. My number three, I'm going to go with Les Rob. This is a movie that uh, a lot of people are iffy on as a movie, uh, especially like with some of the vocalists in the movie. I don't know, man. It worked for me. And I L- Les Mis is another one of those shows that if it resonates with you, then it resonates at a really, really deep level. And, uh, you know, the character of Valjean, the themes of redemption and salvation in that movie are just uh, they hit me every single time. I can't watch that movie and not be moved by that final scene of the barricade after Valjean passes on into the afterlife. It's uh, it's an incredible visual. Les Mis is my number three. Meh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Whatever, dude. 
Uh, Jared, why are you being so rude to Bob? Jeez. <laughs> All right, Brad, number two. Number two has already been mentioned. Dude, I freaking love Sweeney Todd. Yeah. Oh, wow. You hung on to that one. I, okay. I remember like watching it in high school. Our choir sang. We didn't do the musical, but our choir sang through You know the uh, a lot of the songs. Yeah, sure. It is just one of the most fun, like darkly fun musicals ever created. And I just think that Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter and Alan Rickman, like it's just such an incredible cast. And they have so much chemistry in this film Mm -hmm. that just brings this world, this, you know, ugly, gross British world to life, like dark and dirty. And I just, man. It's so good, dude. I'm right there with you. Uh, Sweeney Todd's uh, number two for me. Come on. Wow. Come All on, right. Jared. Um, I mean, you're just talking about some of the the most grimy, dark, dirty texts that we've ever gotten um, from the man himself. Mm-hmm. And um, like you said, Johnny Johnny Depp, that whole cast is is stellar. Uh, and it's, it's actually one of the first musicals by Sondheim that made me really see the range of what theater is possible, uh, capable of, because Company was um, probably the first one that made me go, okay, I think I can do this. And then I saw, and then I started digging a little bit more into Sondheim and uh, found Sweeney Todd and some of his others. And um, it, it just it, it holds a special place in my heart. I say, Jared, real quick, what's like a go-to song for you from Sweeney Todd? Um. Because for for me, I love Poor Thing. I I just think that as they move through the story of Sweeney Todd's former life, where she mm-hmm. clearly kind of knows what's going on, yeah, the, what's happening in the story as well as the actual uh, lyricism and the the music that's going on, I man, I just think it's incredible. Honestly, anytime Pirelli's on his, on the screen was like um, mm. my favorite part of the yeah. show. <laughs> Sweeney Todd is so good. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. When he just when he goes, finally, my arm is complete. Like that's like two of my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Pirelli has the feel of uh, like the Beatles. Um, Oh, what's. Oh, shoot. My brain. The the song that they made that's completely based off the circus poster. Oh, yeah. uh, For the benefit of Mr. Kite. Yes. Yeah. Pirelli just has that vibe about him and it's perfect. I was going to say, Sweeney Todd is so good that they made a whole episode of The Office where Andy is in Sweeney Todd, and <laughs> yeah. and, and it still holds up even after that. Like, that's, that's yep. a feat. <laughs> all right, Brad, my number two is the only one on this list that didn't start as a Broadway musical, but you know that of all the old MGM musicals, it's my very favorite, and it is Judy Garland in Meet Me in St. Louis. Uh, this is just, it's one of those movies that's like kind of on the border of even being a musical because there's only like four or five songs. But there's something so, again, like earnest about it. And it's about a family and it's about persevering through the hard times as a tight knit family. That movie speaks to me. I watch it every year at Christmas like you do White Christmas. Uh, So that is my number two. And that brings us to all of our number one picks. Brad, what's your number one? My number one is probably this might be a little cliche, but hopefully the rest of my list took care of that. West Side Story, man. Yeah. No, it was it, it's inc- it's <laughs> incredible. <Jared knew. laughs> 
I don't know. Are you guys there? Is West Side your guys' number one? It's my number one. I didn't put it there for the purpose of just like trying to move the needle forward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is uh, it like is it is it like a cliche in the musical theater community that that yeah, is like yeah. it's like the you know it, it's like uh you know if you don't know basketball you know Michael Jordan and mm-hmm. you just say yeah Michael mm-hmm. Jordan is the goat but you don't know why yeah yeah um and it, I guess the same thing could be said about LeBron so uh, you know yeah um it's it, it's just uh for for me I, if we're saying like top five I wouldn't I try to stay away from the like. The suggested top five. Sure. You know, all, yeah. All, yeah. Know. But like uh, you're not about to say singing in the rain. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm gonna put I'm gonna put West Side Story as my honorable mention as the like Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Um, maybe all by itself of, yeah. of, of movie musicals. And I'm gonna go, I'm gonna throw you guys a curve. Um, I think this is a hot take. I really dig in the heights. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now you you um, were in in the Heights, right? I was in Boston actually. Okay. Um for for the purpose of what where 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 it came to us, like the timing timing that it came to us during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um also uh, I'm a New Yorker. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm in Hamilton. Lynn's my boss. Uh so I got to, <laughs> you know, I got to get some brownie points right, there. Right. Right. Um and just just for the purpose of like uh, what in the Heights means for I, I think this is the converse of like, a, you know, when you were saying a, a, a musical that was made better as a movie or vice versa, even though the musical is great, the movie. I don't know, the movie just did something for me that was yeah. that was really special. I think it was very monumental and um, very extremely underappreciated. In Absolutely. My, in my opinion. Both that movie and the, you know, the new Spielberg version of West Side Story, like both of those movies deserve better. And, uh, you know, uh, Anthony was so good in in the Heights and I thought he was going to get some more recognition than he did. But, uh, man, it was was just a great movie. And again, like when you're talking about Lin-Manuel Miranda, like it's a great text. But I think you're right. I think the movie elevated the show to a new height there. Yeah, the show the show was I think um partly conflicted by the task that it had. It had to be um it had to be digestible enough mm-hmm. for Broadway audiences to get it because um I mean maybe this is another hot take but you know I think if you can get rich dense Sondheim like you can get hip hop and so I don't think that we should ever dumb down hip hop for musical theater's sake. Absolutely. And Hamilton proved that. But the, the fact that it was new, I think that um, the the the, sh- the the stage show just did so much to advance the ears of listener of musical theater listeners. And without it, we wouldn't have gotten Hamilton. So, you know, I think um, the the movie musical is a bit of the same. And then the, just just the director, the direct uh, directorial choices by John M. Chu, mm-hmm. having them on on the side of the building during sunrise. The shots of the GWB, um, just the bustling neighborhood that they created, um, Anthony's performance. I mean, there was just so many the, the cameos and a bunch of my friends are in it too. That that's the reason it's up there for me. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, everybody, there you have it. Those are our top five movie musicals, but we would like to know what you think. So as always, you can hit us up on our social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Film Whiskey. Or you can jump onto our Discord. We are on there every single day talking with you guys, fans of the Film and Whiskey podcast, about movies, whiskey, musicals, uh, trucking, you know, all, <laughs> all the different things that come up uh, on the Discord can be pretty crazy. So you need to jump on there, join the conversation. You can find a link to our Discord at the end of every single one of our shows. Once again, this has been Jared Dixon. He is currently on tour with the Philip cast in the North American tour of Hamilton as Aaron Burr. You guys are camping out in Boston for a couple weeks, right? Yeah, we'll be there for, uh, I think, two months. Um, Unfortunately, by the time, uh, I think by the time this comes out, I may be out of the show. Um, I'm actually leaving February 5th. Wow. Well, I I mean, for for a good reason. So, like, we we understand. (laughs) This guy is going to go on to incredible things. He's already reached reached the mountaintop with Aaron Burr, and I think that there's another mountain in view for him. Um, It's been just an inspiration to talk to you today. I can't thank you enough for sitting down with us, Jared. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. All right, everybody, we will be back on Monday with another regularly scheduled episode. But until then, I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. And we'll see you next time. So here's the deal, everybody. We just absolutely love producing as much content as possible for Film and Whiskey Nation. But if our regular episodes aren't enough for you, then you can head on over to patreon.com slash filmwhiskey, sign up for one of our memberships, and you will get a slew of extra content for your listening pleasure. Check us out on patreon.com slash filmwhiskey.